This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. common thing that we see for people is, is called head forward posture. When we sit at our computer or we're driving for long periods of time, the head, which weighs about eight pounds, eight to 10 pounds, when the jaw sits in front of your collarbone, you actually increase the weight of your head by 10 pounds for every inch. It can become the 42 pound head. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn what it's like to live with Parkinson's disease. We'll hear how the correct mattress cushioning can help you sleep. We'll discuss the treatment of wear and tear injuries. And lastly, we'll explore the health benefits of juice. But first, a little bit of business. Parkinson Canada provides services and education to people with Parkinson's, their families, and the healthcare professionals who treat them. Since 1965, the organization advocates on issues that concern the Parkinson's community in Canada. The Parkinson Canada National Research Program funds innovative research for better treatments and a cure. A national registered charity, Parkinson Canada fulfills its mission through the generosity of donors and is an accredited organization under the Imagine Canada Standards Program since 2013. For more information, visit parkinson.ca. Linda Burrard was diagnosed with Parkinson's at age 44 and is a participant in the research networks. Linda is a wife, mother of two grown daughters, and proud grandmother of three little girls. In her quest for information on Parkinson's disease, she founded a support group called Entre Donneux. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing fine, Jamie. How are you this morning? I'm doing pretty well. So you've had an interesting journey, and I think the listeners will be very interested to know about the circumstances that led up to you being aware and receiving the diagnosis of Parkinson's. How did that happen? Well, I was having uh, small tremors in my legs, um, especially noticeably when I was driving the car, as a matter of fact, and uh, it would kind of get to a bumpy ride once in a while, and I'd I'd dismiss it, and my friends and I would... Make, make fun of it and sometimes say, you know, maybe a little less coffee, Linda, or <laughs> that extra drink last night might have, you know, led you to uh, to uh, to some, some reactions. And I dismissed it and not thinking more about it. Uh, when I met up with my family doctor, uh, he kind of uh, took it more seriously than I did, of course, uh, and, and questioned uh, more about it and, and sent me for testing at the Montreal Neurological Institute. And I thank him for that, uh, to uh, one of the best places you could uh, be in, in good hands for. And then they, they run a whole series of tests. Uh, actually, they run tests to disqualify other impairments because Parkinson's is, is a, um, uh, in my book, it's, 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 it's a hypothesis because the real diagnosis will come later after I'm gone. But it's by deduction that they, they come with that conclusion and your reaction to some of the medication that's given to you. But in, in true books, it's the process of elimination. So, so, uh, so did it take a long time for them to come to the diagnosis, or, or did it come uh, for fairly quickly? In my case, it, the whole process from the first phone call to 
meeting up uh, with the first doctor and so on. It was a, it was about a six-month process. Hmm. Um, I did go uh, for an MRI, and I went through the, uh, the private sector for uh, acceleration to make things go faster. But as soon as uh, the diagnosis came, they took me into their hands in, in questions of days. So it was a very uh, well lengthy. I think, I think sometimes it could be more more lengthy, but nonetheless, it was a, a very long period to wait for, especially waiting uh, in the process of waiting for the MRI results towards uh, a final. Uh, hypothesis, as I said, or diagnosis. Yeah, forgive me, because I don't know, and, and maybe there is no answer, but is there a hereditary element to Parkinson? Like, was there a family history that they, they could point to to help with the diagnosis? There is not, none. There's a very few cases where it's, it's it, there are families in the world. I think it's under 5% of cases in the world. And don't quote me exactly on those numbers, but there's very limited cases where there are family members within the same family that have Parkinson's disease. I, I was tested for genetics just recently and found out that I do not carry uh, uh, Parkinson genes, that, at least the ones that they know uh, that could be uh, uh, caused by genetics. So, but very, very rarely there are cases of, of, of brothers and sisters or parents um, that carry on this, this, this disease. I would imagine after the six months of testing and, and, and ruling out other potential ailments, it still must have been, you know, difficult to hear the words, you know, you have Parkinson's. How did you feel when you heard? Well, at the point, I mean, my knowledge of what Parkinson's was, was what probably 99.9% of the population think. It's, uh, you have to be a senior and you'll, you'll shake, right? That's what people think or imagine Parkinson is. Right. Um, the words that hit me more so is actually neurological. Because my father uh, ailed with uh, multiple sclerosis, and then chronic and degenerative. So those three words were were the words that really haunted me and really hit me in the face. You know, I'm 44 years old. I I, I saw myself right right now, and you know, uh, I'm not a senior, and that's right. where I thought Parkinson was. I mean, Michael J. Fox is. Of course, um, you know a face for Parkinson's, but when you're not in, in, you're not in that area, you don't you know pay more attention to the, the realities of, of others, right? Yeah, um, I would imagine that even though it's it's not a diagnosis that you want, at least getting a diagnosis might offer some relief because then you understand you know how to deal with it, or at least you, you're in a direction where you can begin treatment, right? Certainly, certainly, but you know it's it's an uh, underrated. Um, people tend to, to say, "Well, yeah, at least you don't have cancer." Right. Um, yeah. And I think it's it's truly a, a lack of knowledge uh, on behalf of everybody and myself, uh, even today, of everything that, although I live it and I, I see the the at the rate that uh, my things my disease is evolving, but it's, it's underestimating the impact that uh, this disease has on on people that, you know, you think that at least you don't have cancer. Well, you know, thank God today they, they save more can- people with cancer than ever before, and I'm very grateful for that. But these neurological diseases are, are you know, hiking up on, on the, the scale of, of how many people are being affected, yeah. whether it be Parkinson, MS, uh, ALS, or Alzheimer's. Uh, and, and, you know, more and more people are being affected by these diseases and, and uh, it needs to be, uh, you know, uh, addressed uh, uh, at different, uh, different levels and for, for the sake of people's uh, well-being. 
Yeah. So let, let's talk a bit about how you're coping with it now and how you're dealing with it now. I would imagine, you know, you don't just have one doctor, but I'm sure there's a roster of, of specialists that are helping you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, I, I was directed by my family doctor to the Montreal Neurological Institute, uh, the MNI, and uh, which I guess it's a privilege uh, to have found that route because they really took me under their uh, their wing instantly. Uh, I saw, of course, my, my neurologist, and uh, at the MNI we had the, the luxury, I should say, to have a clinical nurse, which is the pivot person, uh, you know, available. I wouldn't say 24/7, but available to, to for a phone call, whether it be myself or my husband, who has questions and concerns, and and then uh, certainly uh, I saw a psychologist and 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 name it, and all the uh, physical therapy and, and voice therapy and a slew of, of different uh, different um, medical aids at, at different times, of course, because it does evolve. So for those who might be diagnosed with Parkinson's, what advice would you give to somebody who, who's just found out that they have it? Well, one of the best advice that I was given is actually from my clinical nurse, and she said, Linda, she said, don't, don't waste too much energy trying to accept. You know, accepting something like that is, is trying to accept the unacceptable. She said, you know, make that energy and turn it into ways that you'll learn to live with it. You know, to live, you, you have it, you don't need to accept it, but learn to live with it because basically you're stuck with it. Yeah. You know, it's not going away. So, you know, try to focus more on, on, on what you still have versus what you don't have. And, and acceptation might never come, but you know, learn to to deal with with what you still still have. So that's one big thing that was good for me. And of course, what a, a word of caution would be the web, of course. Um, yeah. You know, there's you know tons of information on the web, but there is as much that will direct you in, in the wrong direction as that someone leads you on to, to believe some things like that. So you've got to be very cautious and, and go to proper sources for information. I, I would agree with you. I think people don't understand that there's a lot of opinion and misinformation on the web. And just because somebody's put it up on a page does not yeah. mean that it is factually accurate or that you should invest anything more than curiosity in what they're saying. So that's you. Um, but this is a, a disease that affects not only you. I'm sure it affects your family as well. What well, would, certainly. And what would you tell people who maybe have a loved one who has Parkinson's? What, what advice would you give? Well, I mentioned earlier that my father had MS. My father was diagnosed with MS when I was a, a late teenager. So I kind of saw the impact it had on, on my mom and myself uh, at that point, because MS is, as dege- is degenerative as well. You know, I think uh, I would advise is, is be patient, of course. It's going to be uh, a tough ride. There'll be good times, but sometimes it's going to be a, a tougher ride. But for sure, for the caregivers, they got to give time from themselves as well, and, and don't forget themselves and all of this. Because certainly, it's it's, a, it's it's I wouldn't I don't like to call it a new member of the family, but it's certainly uh, invasive and it it comes in and affects everybody, um, from my husband to to my children. Certainly, the the, the they, you know, they don't. It has had impact in their lives as well. So, um, of course, I need a good support group, and I do have a good support team. And um, but, you know, it's, it's 
they need to, to first of all, try not to be in denial and, and go again to the right places for information and support. Well, let's talk a bit about support because you uh, have your own support group that you put together. Let's talk about that for a moment. What's that about? Yeah, well, uh, a few years ago, well, actually two years ago, I, I was I was taking part in a fundraising activity here in Quebec. And at one of the activities that we were doing, people came up to me and said, well, you have Parkinson's? I know this person who has Parkinson's and they're looking for help. They don't know where to go and so on and so forth. So a friend of mine who also is, has Parkinson's, he said, you know, why would, don't we just put this organization, try to make it virtual right now, and try to put list all the resources that exist that even us didn't know, all the resources that are existing. And so things started, you know, getting more active, and we started sharing our stories, and people came to us. And, you know, while it's interesting to learn to talk, to hear you talk, but also to talk with you and see how you're dealing with it, and so, basically, we, we put this organization to say, well, you know, let, let's help each other and share. You know, I, I do this activity. This helps me. Let's share it with the others and see what, what's good for them and, and pass on information. Right? Let's not underst- underestimate the, the value of, of the associations that exist, but a peer-to-peer conversation is very important as well. And social therapy, as we call it, is not to be undermined. So it's, you know, that's basically the, the, the basis of, of, of the creation of our group. If people wanted to find out more information about the group, I presume you're online. What's the website? It's entredonsnous.ca. It uh, means uh, let us help each other. So entredonsnous, uh, spell it out, E-N-T-R-A-I-D-O-N-S-N-O-U-S.ca. We'll put a link on the website, so if people are interested, Perfect. they can go to the website. So in, in addition to doing peer support, you're also quite involved with the research end, yeah? Yeah. From, uh, well, again, because of the creation of the Montreal Neurological, uh, my, my neurologist uh, headed the uh, Quebec Parkinson Network. Uh, turns out that uh, he headed that uh, initiative. And so from the beginning, you know, he invited me to, to, to join, and I said, well, why not? <laughs> you know, let's yeah. try to, I have it, and now what can I do to help? And certainly, I'd love to have this eradicated one day, and, and you know, the generations that are to come not have to to, to deal with any of that or make that part of the, the history. <laughs> and um, and I got nothing to lose. So for sure that from day one, I said, yeah, I'm going to partake into this, uh, to, into this uh, venture. But, you know, and, and there's no obligation. I mean, you sign on, and uh, every time there's a request for some sort of research topic, uh, they give you a call, and, you know, uh, it's truly up to you at that point to say, yeah, I'm interested, or no, I, I'm not on, the, on this on this research study. But it's important. I mean, we want things to evolve, and it can't be all dependent on others. I think we need to do our, our share to help things advance. For sure. So, so are you taking experimental drugs, or are you giving blood? What sort of things are you doing in the research? No, no, I've, I've, I'm not. I'm not taking experimental drugs. I've given blood and and done some tests. Uh, I've done some uh, psychological tests as well because I'm impacted uh, uh, cognitively. Mm-hmm. So there's that's an impact that that's got to me. So it's more about at this point tests and, and giving samples than than uh, taking taking any type of drugs. We have time for one more question, and that is for those who might have Parkinson's. You know, why would it be important for them to get involved with the research? 
it's the only way to make things advance. I think, you know, it's like I said, it's an underrated or an underrated disease. Uh, certainly, there's not it's under um, uh, visibility is not spot uh, on to Parkinson's, uh, at least from my perception. And the more we give, the more we'll help make this uh, part of uh, history. And uh, there's just good good value in doing it. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, it makes me feel good. So it makes me feel valuable. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Jamie. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how mattress softness can affect your sleep on The Tonic. St. Francis Herb Farm is a leading herbal company that is 100% Canadian-owned and family-run in the Ottawa Valley for over 30 years. St. Francis Herb Farm is obsessed with plant medicine. Their holistic approach includes only certified organic and well-crafted herbs. Processes learned over decades get the most out of the herbs, and leveraging science ensures the highest quality. The foundation for their well-made plant medicine. St. Francis Herb Farm is well-known and trusted for their wildly popular Deep Immune that can help you fend off flus and colds, as well as a full range of natural health and wellness products for the whole family. To learn more, visit stfrancisherbfarm.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. Talking dirty. Brought to you by the new antimicrobial mattress from Ultramatic. Sleep apnea, arthritis and back pain. I've been with all of them and I'm ready for relief. Find your ultimate sleep position in an Ultramatic adjustable lifestyle bed. This has been me talking dirty. Receive $550 off any Ultramatic adjustable base. Offer ends Monday. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Then try it in Ontario's safest mattress store. At Lawrence and Bathurst, Ultramatic, elevate your sleep. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Adar Shah nurtured the rise of Ultramatic, the iconic Canadian brand of adjustable beds and maker of delightful wellness products. He received his bachelor's degree in engineering at Cornell University, graduating magna cum laude in 1999. After graduation, Adarsh joined the Monitor Group, a Cambridge-based strategy consulting company. He worked for them in Toronto, New York, and in Mumbai offices on various corporate strategy, market entry, and merger and acquisition projects. He's a proud Torontonian, having lived here for over 30 years, albeit with a few adventurous years in New York and in between. He's the father of two mischievous girls and a caregiver to his happy, healthy, and wine-living parents. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. So last time you were here, we were talking about sleep position, but, you know, selfishly, and, you know, you've been on the show a few times. You may or may not know this. This show is actually about me. Um, <laughs> and we're going to talk about something that, that I'm really interested in because I'm shopping for mattresses and I need to know which direction to go in. So, like, I got the boss here and I'm going to take advantage of that, right? Why not? Let's do it. Okay. So we talked about sleep position last week, but let's talk about it in the context of what sort of mattress you should be looking for. So does the way you sleep impact on what sort of mattress or the softness of mattress you should get? Yes. The short answer is yes. But before we judge firm or soft, we should clarify that neither a firm or a soft mattress is necessarily bad if combined with a layer of pressure-relieving foam. Okay. The, the right firmness level should give your spine the right support and should reduce pressure points. Okay. Right? So the way I break up firmness levels is in five basic categories. 
Right. Because firmness level in a mattress can be subjective. So well, it needs to be, you know, fairly broad. Yeah, it is subjective, right? Like my, my five might be your 10, right? So Exactly. Exactly. So I would say that 95% of mattresses will fall into these five categories. Soft, medium soft, medium, medium firm, and super firm. Okay. Okay. So those are the, we could use numbers, but I, I like prefer to use words to describe it. It's, uh, I think, a little bit... Uh, easier to understand. All right, so so let's continue using your words. What does that mean okay. when when we talk about those five different types of mattresses? So a super firm surface would be like sleeping on a piece of rock yeah. or a table, and and a, and a soft mattress would be something that perhaps you would call plush or luxurious, something that you just uh, sink into, you know, similar to a, like a, a bed of feathers. Okay. Okay. So. Side sleepers, they will have pressure points at their hips and their shoulders. Yeah, I'm a side sleeper. Okay, so the, the mattress should have should give in those areas so that they're not compressing those joints. And so typically a medium or a medium soft mattress will work best. Okay. And for, for yourself, the area that perhaps you need to be conscious about is that area under the ribs or in the upper abdomen where uh, you should be looking for support. So soft mattresses may not provide the, the total support in those areas and, and could cause upper back pain if you don't support that area well. Okay, that's good to know. I'm making notes. Go on. What if you're the type of person that sleeps on their tummy? If you're a stomach sleeper, you should completely avoid any kind of soft mattress. Okay. And the reason for that is that your stomach and your buttocks will, will sink into the mattress the most since they tend to be the heaviest parts of our body. Yep. So this position, you know, when you sleep in your stomach and in, in your back, near your stomach sinks into the mattress, it can actually provide a wonderful stretch to the back because we, we tend to be hunched over for most of the day, most of us anyway. Yeah. But anything longer than a few minutes in that position will put the spine into a harmful U-shape. So stomach sleepers should actually choose a fairly firm mattress. A medium firm mattress is what I would recommend. And I know there's some people who sleep this way. I can't because I snore and I got elbowed. And I think you told me it's the same for you. What about the people that sleep on their back? Yeah, back sleeping is probably the best way to sleep. It exposes the body to the fewest pressure points. Mm Mm-hmm. But back sleepers have to be careful about providing adequate support to their lower back, where we have the natural curve to our spine. So you want that curve to be supported so that your muscles are not firing all night trying to hold up your body. So for uh, back sleepers, a medium or medium firm mattress is best. Is the reality, though, that people sort of move around a lot at night? Like, like I know sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night, I'm on my side, and other times maybe I'm on my, my stomach. Yeah. What should we do in those circumstances? That's probably the majority of us. We do move around. And a medium to medium firm mattress typically works for most people. Okay. There is a small part of the population who live on the edge. This is what I call people that slowly get kicked or nudged to the edge of the bed by their partner. (laughs) Or their dog. And for them, I just recommend getting a nice mattress for the floor to to cushion their fall. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so some of us are different sizes and shapes. So I tend to be a big boy. I'm about six feet, and I'm I'm happily just under 200 pounds for the first time in a while. But am I going to look for a different mattress than, let's say, my spouse, who is way less than that? Yes. In general, the heavier your weight, the greater the firmness you'll probably need. Okay. And this is also where firmness levels become subjective because what a lighter person calls medium could be a soft for a heavier person. Got it. So, so the key is comfort. 
and that's through reduced pressure points and proper support for the spine. Okay. So if one were to go shopping for mattresses, and I've done this recently, we've started our search, there are the old school spring mattresses. Now, there's pros and cons to the spring mattress, right? Yes, absolutely. Spring mattresses, you know, for your listeners are effectively mattresses made where the base support is a grid of coiled wires arranged in a matrix. Mm -hmm. And generally, so it's, it's made out of metal. And generally, the more metal in the mattress through greater coils or a greater configuration of metal, the better the support. And so here, pocket coil mattresses provide probably the best pressure relief and the least motion transfer. They're probably the best kind of spring mattress you could buy. Those are the ones you see like where they drop the bowling ball on it, right? And it it only affects that area. Is that what that is? That's right. Yeah, they drop the bowling ball and the glass of wine doesn't spill. Fantastic. All right. So is there is there a baseline amount of coils that you should be looking for or, or does that kind of vary depending on? It does vary on the type of wire being used and the configuration. It's the first coil mattress was actually made in the 19th century. So it's a technology that's over 100 years old and it's changed over time. And the real question you should be asking yourself is probably how many products do you purchase today for your well-being that use a hundred-year-old technology? I don't know. That's a good question. And probably, no, probably not many. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So it's something that I don't recommend, okay. um, especially if they are not used in combination with pressure-relieving foams. Spring mattresses are heavy. They're susceptible to rust. They, they lose their resilience faster, and they can be squeaky. Yep. Okay. So the option other than spring mattress, I guess, would be memory foam. Yeah. Yes. Any kind of pressure relieving foam of which memory foam is one, gel is another, and latex is the third. Okay. Uh, But let's talk about memory foam first because it was the first one that was developed in recent in terms of technology. And that was in 1966 when NASA developed this foam for better spacecraft cushions. Hmm. And it it was to keep astronauts safe from the G forces at takeoff and collisions during landing. It's a a foam that is basically a regular foam with chemicals added to it, chemicals called TDI and MDI. And what that allows the the foam to do is it allows the foam to absorb pressure and it minimizes the force exerted in return. And it does that by prolonging the time it takes to rebound to its original shape. It conforms, and the benefit is that it conforms the shape of your body and reducing the pressure on pressure points. And gel, does it operate the same way and do the same thing with different technology, or is it different? Gel in itself can be pressure relieving, but typically when mattress companies speak about gel, it's a bluish material that's injected into memory foam. Oh, okay. So it's not a, generally not a pure gel that's in a mattress. Um, It's typically a gel bead or a liquid gel that's injected into regular memory foam. And and why why would you want that and why do they do that as opposed to just using memory foam straight? They do that to counteract the biggest complaint about memory foam, which is that it absorbs body heat. Ah, so these are the cool mattresses. That's right. Gel uh, stays at a constant temperature longer within a larger temperature range. So it stays cool in warm temperatures and stays at room temperature when it gets cold. Got it. It keeps that surface of the mattress more comfortable at an even temperature range. Fantastic. We have time for one more question, and it's a biggie. 
And that is, if you're going to shop for a mattress and, and try and find the one that's right for you, how could you possibly do that without sleeping on it first? Like, what would you tell somebody coming into the store? Yeah, I, you know, you're you're right. Today, you might be tempted to purchase a mattress without visiting a store. Right, exactly. And, and rightly so in these times of COVID. You know, you as we move closer to a second wave, lying down on a mattress or pillow could actually expose your body to a surface that may or may not be sanitary. Right. So I can speak about Ultramatic. Um, sure. What we've done in our showrooms is we've adopted a system that ensures that you can shop safely. Mm-hmm. In addition to the usual masks and plexiglass that we have in the showroom, we've uh, also brought in equipment and materials that I think makes us the safest mattress store in Canada. We provide every visitor to the store their personal sleep protector. It's a soft antimicrobial fabric that you place over the mattress and pillow that you're trying. And then we have these antimicrobial sleep barriers that we place in between beds if there's more than one family in the showroom at a time. We've also recently upgraded our ventilation system and our ducts so that clean air is circulated into the showroom faster. And we have this stunning living wall in our showroom, which naturally absorbs toxins. It removes formaldehyde, VOCs, carbon monoxide, and other uh, pollutants. Fantastic. Well, that sounds great. And I'm going to come by the store because it's actually close by to where I live. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're really welcome. I hope I helped you narrow down your search. You have. We have to take a short break. But when we return, we'll discuss wear and tear injuries on The Tonic. Are you stressed out? Feel exhausted? Having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, chill pills, and sleep aid from New Roots Herbal. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. For more information, visit newrootsherbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Aaron Boynton, or Dr. B, is an orthopedic surgeon with a unique approach to musculoskeletal pain, blending both the art and science of medicine. As the first female orthopedic surgeon to work in the MLB and NHL, she has an extensive experience in dealing with overuse or what we normally call wear and tear injuries. Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? Oh, I'm super, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me today. So we're going to talk about wear and tear injuries. And I guess if we're going to do that, we should really start at the beginning and explain what that is. For sure. So wear and tear is the natural degenerative process that goes on in our body with everyday life. Our connective tissues are made up of threads of collagen, kind of like the fabric of your genes. And so with everyday living, these threads can break. 
But one of the wonderful things about our body is we have an amazing ability to regenerate and repair this micro damage. So, so long as we have a balance between injury and repair, our body won't break down. And how quickly we'll show signs of wear and tear depends a little bit upon our genetics, about how active we are, and how well we take care of ourselves. So obviously, if we're taking care of ourselves, that's to our benefit. And as we get older, it becomes harder to repair. But the, the third one, which is use, are you recommending more or less use? Well, I think it's correct use. Okay. I, movement is medicine. And so long as we stress our tissues in a healthy fashion, we actually promote building and hypertrophy. Uh, The classic example would be doing uh, a bicep curl. If you stimulate the bicep, the muscle will hypertrophy. If you don't use the muscle, then it atrophies. So we want to have a balance of moving enough, but not too much. Okay. So you, over the many years, have probably seen all kinds of wear and tear injuries. What are the most common ones that you see? The most common ones I see tend to affect the tissues that don't have a good blood supply. So that would be cartilage, which is a firm, rubbery substance that coats the ends of our bone, and that is called arthritis when it wears out. Uh, Tendon damage, for example, the rotator cuff in the shoulder, and our spinal discs, which are the shock absorbers between our spinal vertebrae. So because these tissues don't have as good a blood supply, they don't get the repair molecules in order to recover from the wear and tear. Okay, so what can we do to stop our body from deteriorating then? Is there anything we can do? Absolutely. And I think that the most important thing is to have a foundation for movement. And what I mean by that is having a good alignment of the joint, making sure that we have good flexibility or balance around the joint, and that we use the right muscles. If I were to give an example, a very common thing that we see for people is is called head forward posture. Mm -hmm. And when we sit at our computer or we're driving for long periods of time, the head, which weighs about eight pounds, I don't know if you knew that, but eight to 10 pounds. Oh, mine is Uh, much bigger because I have a a huge ego. So like my my neck's under strain all the time. I go on. (laughs) So when the jaw sits in front of your collarbone, you actually increase the weight of your head by 10 pounds for every inch. So oh, wow. it can become the 42-pound head. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so when I, I know that when someone has this head-forward posture, that they also change how they're using their muscles, and they're not using as many muscles. So I don't know, but probably a lot of our listeners have had pain in their, in their neck or in their traps area, and they'll, they'll uh, go to get a massage, and they feel great because the muscle's relaxed. But... If they don't change the posture and change the alignment, then the muscle continues to be overused and is having to hold up this 42-pound head and becomes painful again. So the key thing to prevent the wear and tear is to make sure that you're correcting the head-forward posture, that you're engaging the right muscles, and that you've got good flexibility of those muscles. So online, I've seen a bunch of these products that I, I think it sends like a little jolt. Like you wear it, you put these straps on oh, yeah. and it keeps you aligned by like giving you a little every time you're leaning forward. Are you, are you in favor of those? You know, anything for a little reminder. I personally have had this head forward posture, you know, standing in the OR, sure. working at the computer and it's habits. It's, it, becomes, um, it becomes a challenge to change. And I think that this is one of the biggest things that I want people to understand from this. It's not easy, but every little bit that you can do helps. So sure. the little thing that gives you a jolt, why not?
I guess from hearing what you're saying about, you know, the head forward sitting, I would presume that you're all in favor of ergonomics and making sure that your chair is properly aligned and that you're, you know, for carpal tunnel, that you're not stressing your joints by being sort of sitting in a wonky position. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You're right on with that. Is that the one thing that we could do? If you could tell anybody the number one thing to do, is that it? Or is there something else you have in mind? Well, it's kind of hard to just narrow it down to uh, one thing. You know, certainly making sure that you've got the repair molecules, so good nutrition, anti-inflammatory diet, making sure that you're recovering between your workouts, because it's an... These wear and tear injuries accumulate and catch up with us over a lifetime. So I think that all the motherhood things that, you know, your mom tells you are, are important. Um, but probably uh, a good warm-up before your activity would be the one thing I would recommend. I tend to see people that they just jump into the gym, you know, they've been sure. sitting at their desk or in the car, and they just get out and start running around like crazy. And yes, that's really good for you, of course. But it's like getting into your car when it's minus 30 degrees, and you're putting your foot on the gas and expecting the car to perform properly. So warm your body up and make sure you have that foundation for movement. Make sure that the muscles are loose. Make sure that you've got good posture and and that uh, you're ready to roll. So I prefer a dynamic warm-up. In other words, you, you kind of mimic the motions of whatever exercise it is you're going to do, but obviously not at full strength. And I know you work with a lot of athletes. Is that what you would recommend too? I love a dynamic warm-up. It's making sure that the tissues are loose. And we know that with just static stretching, which means that you know, you're just pulling on the limb to yeah. stretch the tissue, that you, you actually turn the muscle off which we're actually trying to turn most of these muscles on so that they're, they're able to perform properly. So yeah. I'm with you. And the static comes after when you're nice and loose after your workout. That's where you can really stretch out and, and, and help. That's at least my experience. That's what I do. You know what? I, I do like some static stretching. I probably prefer foam rolling. And part of the reason for yeah. this is that if you're just stretching, you sometimes stretch through the path of least resistance. So okay. you're stretching the part of your body that doesn't actually need to be stretched. But with foam rolling, you can put pressure on the area that needs to be loosened up, and you can move your body around that so that you get the tissues gliding better. So there's definitely a role for static stretching, um, but I'm a huge proponent of what we call active self-myofascial release. Oh, but Dr. B, it hurts so much. The rollers hurt so much. I hate them. (laughs) You know what? They're really awful, but the more you do it, actually, the less it hurts. Okay. So, you know, you don't go crazy. I'll take your, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a surgeon, right? So uh-huh. I fully expected you to come on the show and give a surgeon's answer, which is surgery is the answer to all the questions. Uh, how, do you, <laughs> how do you really feel about that? <laughs> well, you know, surgery, there is a time and a place, 100%. I am a surgeon. But I had this really long waiting list for surgery, about two years. And, uh, you know, someone wow. would finally get into the office and they'd be like, okay, you know, we need surgery. And I'm like, yep, I agree. And they say, when? And I said, well, two years. And they're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do for two years? So what I did is I taught them to change how they move. And what happened uh, was that they didn't overload that part of their body anymore. Very often, the tissues regenerated and healed. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't actually regenerate, they stopped deteriorating. And because they were engaging more muscles, the pain went away. So this happened in about 70% of people, and I was just shocked. I I couldn't believe it. I thought, wow. And then if someone needed an operation, they got better faster because we fixed the root movement problem. So if I fixed their rotator cuff tendon tear, 
then they weren't moving in the same way and then overloading my repair and having the repair fail. So there's no question that surgery can be a fantastic solution if you've got arthritis of your knee, if you've got arthritis in your hip, if you've, you know, if you've got these issues that don't respond to changing how you load the tissue, I'm all for it. Okay, so they're coming to you, they're consulting with you, and you're recommending, I, I guess we'd call it kinetics, or, or like considering their movement, and I presume bolstering other muscles and stretching and doing all that good stuff. Are you working with somebody else that, that helps with that, or are you giving all this advice, this non-surgical advice? Well, I gave a lot of it, but I do also work with kinesiologists, massage therapists, physical therapists, people who also have a like-minded approach to fixing wear and tear problems. So I would give my patients sort of the guidelines and the therapist the guidelines, and then they would get their exercise prescription. Okay. And I know for some, before they'll consider surgery, they might get some cortisone shots. Where do you stand on that? You know, it can, uh, it can play an important role. Uh, I don't think it should be used as a crutch that every time you have pain, you get a cortisone injection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but cortisone can have a very effective anti-inflammatory effect. Mm-hmm. So you decrease the pain, which will then allow you to change how you move. And I think that that's the key thing. If you understand the purpose of the injection, the purpose of the injection is not to fix you necessarily. It's not going to create a healing of the tissue, but it'll decrease your pain to allow you to then change how you move. Okay. And, you know, there's all sorts of talk about hot new treatments like stem cell. Uh Are you an advocate of that type of treatment? Again, if you change the root problem of movement and you don't get better, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to fix the primary problem by just sticking the stem cell in there. So say you've got a partial rotator cuff tear and you get a stem cell injection, the stem cells go in there and they say, okay, we're going to heal the tendon. If you don't change how you move that created the tendon tear, the tendon tear is just going to evolve and return. But if you fix the movement problem, then have the injection to help with the healing if you need that because there's a poor blood supply, then Bob's your uncle. Okay, we have time for one more question. And it's the age-old question. If you're suffering from muscular skeletal pain, hot or cold? <laughs> okay, I recommend ice for the first 24 to 48 hours when you have potential for inflammation and with an acute injury. And if you have swelling, even though it's a chronic injury, ice can be helpful. But most of us feel better if we've got chronic aches and pains, uh, heat, heat's the go-to. But I encourage people to experiment. They may actually do a contrast, ice first, heat second, and see what feels good for you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come back again? I would love to come back again. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. That was Dr. Aaron Boyton. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the health benefits of juice on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. 
the new 8,300-square-foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Nadia Kotsos is the owner of Drink Juice Co., a boutique shop in Leaside, Toronto. She's also a holistic nutritionist, and she deals with total body health to promote preventative measures for a balanced, well-lived life. Welcome to The Tonic. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Juice. So, you know, a lot of people, just given what's going on in the world today, are trying to get healthy and, you know, maybe they've never contemplated it before. But my experience is when people try and get healthy, the first thing they do is they change their diet and they change the way they consume their calories and their nutrition. So I guess the first question is, who would benefit from drinking juice? I think everybody would, to be honest. It's an easy way to get your uh, nutrients in. What the process is, we do cold-pressed juicing. So we get to keep all of the vitamins and minerals in the juice. There's no heat or oxygen added to the juice. So everything, um, all the vitamins and minerals are there. Mm -hmm. And everybody can absorb everything. So even if you have any digestive issues, it goes straight into the bloodstream and there's nothing that really stops it from being absorbed. So cold press means that you're just, you know, obviously you're removing peels and things like that 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 can't be compressed. But is it like one of those screws? Is that how is that how you're getting all the pulp and the and the liquid out of the fruits and vegetables? Yeah. So there's two types of juicing. Yeah. So there's the uh, cold press method, and then there's also that centrifuge, which a lot of people have at home, which is that um, like machine. A, like a Vitamix? Thin. Like a Vitamix type yeah. of thing? Um, a Vitamix is a blender. The centrifugal juicer is the one that spins really fast. It makes a really loud noise, ah. and it separates pulp and juice. Got it. With the cold-pressed juice, it, it is like those screws. There's a, two ways to do it. So it either masticates very slowly, yep. and that's how it separates the pulp and the, and the juice, or there's a pressing method. So both ways, there's no heat and oxygen that's added, but when you spin it quickly in, a, in the other type of juicer, there's heat and, uh, heat and oxygen added, so you do have to drink it quicker to make sure you can maintain all the vitamins and minerals in there. So the, the issue, you know, I understand why you wouldn't want to heat it. So with the oxygen, I guess it oxidizes the juice and, right. and I guess that shortens the shelf life. Is that the issue? Exactly. That's right. Okay. And some minerals can't survive in, in that type of environment. Okay. So, you know, we're all feeling a bit more stressed. I think that's probably one of the bigger spinoffs of, of COVID. How does juice help with that? Oh, there's many ways that I'd say that it helps. When it comes to stress, what happens to our body is we tense up. So our organs tense up, and it's not just our shoulders. Sometimes we see it. We see people carry it in our in our shoulders, and they head right up to our ears. But what actually happens is our in our organs tighten up, so we don't absorb things as as well. We become backed up, constipated, and we stop absorbing nutrients when we juice and we add that in. Our, it goes straight into the bloodstream, so we absorb everything a lot better. It also helps with easing our body. When we're healthy, we don't carry as much stress. Okay. 
So I know a little bit about the work that you do because you're a nutritionist as well. Juicing is, you know, for people that are healthy, but juicing can also be helpful for those who maybe have some surgery, right? Definitely. So it's just about the what we're adding to the juice that would help somebody who's just come out of a surgery or any type of issue. With are, are, you, are, are you grinding up painkillers and putting them in? What are you doing? <laughs> kind of. It's uh, Turmeric is a great way to help with pain um, and help with inflammation. So we take fresh turmeric root and we put it through our juicer. The way that I do everything is I calculate everything and I make all my juices with a purpose. So I know that with juices that I would recommend for after surgery or somebody with a cold or who has a lot of inflammation in their body, I have a juice that has a thousand milligrams of curcumin in it. Mm -hmm. So that comes from turmeric and it's the amount of turmeric that I put into the juice. So I don't just put a little nub in there and say, hey, there's turmeric in there and it's going to help you. I calculate everything that I put in my juices. And I make sure that you're going to get the actual benefit from the turmeric and from the curcumin in the turmeric. So uh, people who suffer uh, from surgery and need the nutrition is, is one subset. But then there's people who maybe are so ill that they can't keep their food mm-hmm. down. And, and I guess juice would help with that too, yeah? Yeah, definitely. So there's many different reasons why people juice. They definitely have a lot of clientele um, who have cancer or um, any type of autoimmune disease, and I do have specific juices that I recommend for them. What would you recommend for somebody who's suffering from cancer? Like, what will the juices bring to the table, as it were? Again, it would go back to digestion and how they absorb everything. So anyone who's who has any trouble absorbing or they're not as hungry because they're going through chemotherapy, it's just going to help fill their body with nutrients and, and getting healthy items back into their body. Uh, when it comes to clients with cancer, there's a few ways to deal with it. Everybody has their own view on what they should be eating and what they shouldn't be eating. Um, I typically stick to just pure green juices that have no fruit in them. I want to keep the sugar content low. Why, why is that? Why would you exclude the sugar? So, I, again, there's different views from what I've read and what I've researched. Cancer cells feed on, on sugar. It doesn't matter if it's fructose or um, refined sugar. That's what it likes, and that's what it feeds on. So I personally always suggest to go something just straight greens that have a lot of vitamins and minerals that's going to alkalize your body, um, and that's what I, I recommend for those clients. Those clients. Okay, and, and what other juices are good if you're having a low appetite, or is it mostly just the vegetable-based ones that help? Yeah, it really depends. So I have a tiny little juice bar, and the wonderful thing about that is I get to talk to everybody and see what's really going on with them. Mm-hmm. If it's a low appetite and they're not getting enough fiber in their diet, I give them juices that I know have a lot of soluble fiber. A lot There's a, a theory out there that juices don't have fiber in it. There's two types of fiber. There's insoluble fiber and there's soluble fiber. Right. So when we juice, we do remove the insoluble fiber, but we still have uh, soluble fiber. So that's going to help bulk it lightly sweeps the colon clean instead of having that harsh fiber that can cause gas or it hurts somebody's stomach. So okay. it, it really depends on why they'd be coming in. What about people who are getting older? Does it make sense for them to have juice? Is there any contraindications or is that something they should actually look at? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's fruits and vegetables, right? So there's not 
very many people who I wouldn't recommend juice to. It's just eating healthy, basically, and getting all the nutrients from it. There are some contraindications when somebody has diabetes. You want to make sure that they're getting juices that aren't high in sugar. Right. I'm really lucky. I get to make all the juices in store, and I pick and choose what gets to go in there. So all my juices are, if they're not 100% vegetables, it's very, very low um, fruits, and I really only use apple. Okay. Is there any other, is there anybody, you said there's very few people that you wouldn't recommend juice for other mm-hmm. than people that have diabetes. Is there anybody else who, who maybe should maybe get some advice first before they have juice? Uh, not that I can really think of. And still like somebody with diabetes, they, they, it's still a fine thing to have in their diet. I just wouldn't have it all day. Right. Um, but no, just like I said, it's vegetables and, and fruit. I find that I don't know, 90% of the population isn't getting enough vegetables and fruits, right? It's just an easy grab-and-go, carbs, protein, and that's it. Right. So it's an easy way to add your an abundance of vegetables to your diet. Okay, you alluded to something earlier in our conversation, and, and that's sort of the alkaline balance uh, mm-hmm. that we have. And I think you were contextualizing for people that are you know, maybe having surgery or, or cancer, but it's important for all of us, right? Definitely. So when we sleep, our body actually becomes acidic. And the first thing that people normally do is they go straight for a coffee, which is also acidic. But what we want to do is bring our alkalinity level back up. So there's always a lot of talk about having lemon and water first thing in the morning. I think that's a great idea because it's going to bring your alkalinity level up and then have your coffee. Um, the juices are going to do the same thing for you. It's going to bring your, it's going to help balance your pH. And we want to make sure that we do that. Disease can't live in an alkaline state. So the more alkaline our body is, the better. Okay. So if people are interested in reaching out to you and, and, and getting some juice, how would they do that? And how do they store it? And how do they buy it, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So I'm in Toronto. My store is at Bayview in Eglinton, just south of Eglinton. They can always pop in, and I'll be there to help them pick out the juices that are best for them. They can always call the store and place an order that way if they'd like to talk to me. But now I have a delivery service. So I deliver all around the GTA, Toronto, uh, Oakville, Hamilton, basically everywhere. And what's the shelf life for these juices? If I were to buy one today, how many days could I have it before I consider so it not really having it? It depends, yeah, on the type of juice that you get. Juices last anywhere from three days to 10 days. Um, there's no preservatives in any of my juices. So it's just straight vegetables. Our process is what makes it have that three-day to 10-day uh, shelf life. And I presume there, there's something on your labeling to let people know how long they can they can hold on Definitely. to those juices. Definitely. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Linda Berard, Adar Shah, Dr. Aaron Boynton, and Nadia Costos. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. During COVID-19, we're suspending distribution of the magazine, but guess what? 
Tonic will be back with a September-October issue available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss bolstering your libido under stress, whether you should change your diet as you age, how naturopathy intersects with allopathy, and mindfulness, middle age, and self-actualization. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.